Hello and welcome to Slogging It. Uh, in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about England's tour of Sri Lanka, more spinning in the spiner's web, Joe Root's cramping like Mark Richardson in that infamous test in India, the world's first 10 wickets of seam, followed by 10 wickets of spin, Dick Willer asking uh, Dan Lawrence for some batting advice, as well as the South African tour to Pakistan and possibly even England's tour of England. But before we get into the topics today, I first wanted to introduce uh, the first co-host of tonight, Simon Roberts. How are you doing, Simon? I'm, I'm even better having just listened to that. <laughs> we have been pissing around. <laughs> um, oh. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Um, but, the, <laughs> but the reason that we maybe, maybe haven't heard Jono's voice introducing, which we normally do, is because our guest tonight is none other than our own Jono Gordon. How are you doing, Jono? Evening, gentlemen. Yeah, I'm all right. I'll tell you what, Huge, I reckon I might find myself out of a job. I was incredibly <laughs> impressed by that. Until you said England's tour of England. <laughs> oh, did I say that, did I? Oh, fantastic. I knew I'd, I knew I'd, I knew I'd do something wrong. There you go. So, Jono, your, your, your job is safe, which is I always important. It. You're in now every week. Every week. <laughs> Um, there's, still, there's some of our listeners that have, will have genuinely just had a man accident listening to Eugene do that. <laughs> we get begged every week. We get begged to hear more from Eugene, and there's there'll, there'll be oh, there, there'll have been an incident somewhere. You absolutely nailed it. <laughs> Except for England versus England, anyway. So, Jono, what's it like being on the other side of the table today? You know, being 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 interviewed instead of being the interviewer. Well, I had, I had chicken and salad for dinner with six pints of lager and I've now got six of our uh, Big Smoke beers, thank you again Big Smoke, to, um, to to see me through what can only be described as probably a really uncomfortable hour. Um, but no, no, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It is. It will be weird to be asked the questions rather than be asking the questions, but um, yeah, uh, you know, if, if any part of my story I guess can help others then, you know, why not? Correct. And before we get to that, we are going to cover a little bit about the cricket and then we'll move on to your interview. And we're going to follow the same format for those that are listening. So it's exactly the same, just with a couple of different voices um, today. So how did we think England played today? Did um, Was this, a, was this a, a game that we thought England were going to win when we looked at um, how things were yesterday? I know, Johnny, you were on commentary with the Gorilla Cricket guys. Uh, what are your thoughts on it first? Really, really proud to be English today, I guess. Um I think that I was talking about this on comms. I, I was saying I thought Sri Lanka, Chandimal missed a trick for me, made it far too easy for England to almost win it in ones from being probably 60 away from the target. Um, you know, there was a, <clears throat> a period where deep backward square leg was, they were getting one to deep backward square three, four times and over. Plug the gap. Like, if they bowl a rank long up and it gets twatted for four, then fine, but it was a bad ball anyway. Um, and England almost just waltzed the victory. Um I think that um, I've forgotten his name. I've said it so often today. What's that left arm? That left arm spinner. I mean, the way he came out and batted, I thought was phenomenal. Um, and then he, he he didn't bowl as probably worst innings with the ball that we've seen him on the entire tour. Um, and I think that he was probably their trump card, and he didn't come off. But um, Root unlucky, um, but you know Butler um, absolutely fantastic. Along with Sidley, we must say he, he, a lot of people have been calling for him to. To not play in India, and I think you know on that wicket, the runs that he scored today were probably worth double. Well, it, it's it's funny you mentioned that wicket. I thought it was probably one of the better cricket wickets that we've seen in Sri Lanka. And I want to go back to the beginning and ask Simon and bring Simon in yet to say, you know, the first innings when um, when England bowled. I mean, ten wickets taken by the seamers in the first innings. What what a great performance! Yeah, 
I think I agree with you on that. It's one of the best wickets we've seen in Sri Lanka for as long as I've been watching, to be fair. Um, although I don't think the groundsmen will be getting in too much thanks from their, from their team. But, um, but no, like it was, it was proper test cricket, wasn't it? It was proper day one. The ball's got, it had a little bit in it for the seamers, not a lot by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought Anderson was just incredible. Um, and and Wood, I thought in the first his first couple of spells, I thought he bowled really well without any luck at all. And then the ball went to reverse. And me and Jono had a chat about the way he bowled at Chandamal in the spell before the spell he got him out in. And it was I know we've had one of the the, the best English architects of, of reverse swing on the podcast recently, Simon Jones. But there was a lot of very of a, a lot of similarities in the way that Wood was bowling, the way he was trying to set the batter up to what we saw Simon Jones do when when he was in his prime. And I I think at the minute, I mean, people are going to say, like, he, there was a question about Sibley at the start today, and I agree with John on the captaincy. I thought Chandamar's captaincy was diabolical against Sibley in particular. A guy that's renowned for not having a get-out, you give him a get-out. They just give it him. And it was, it was terrible. But he answered a few questions, and I think Mark Wood maybe have answered a few questions in that sort of debate between him and Archer. Mm. You'd say Archer's going to play, but he's given a massive headache now with that spell of bowling in the first innings. Yeah. Sorry, Emble Denier, isn't it, um, or Emble Denier, whatever his name is? Um, great, and the way you know he comes out and whacks forty at ten or whatever it was. Do you not think though? Like Sri Lanka in both tests got bowled out for Nathal in one innings. He he actually made their score in the second dig of this test look half not even respectable. The rest of them were that bad. I mean, I woke up this morning to go on comms and it was sixty eight for six. I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, and I, I almost think that Sri Lanka will be looking back thinking we've given England that series two nil because two out of four innings they've absolutely balls it up. Um, you know, it's not to take anything away from England. The captain's been absolutely sensational. Um, to be fair to Sibley, um, he, I, I think once he got to 20, he actually looked like even when they were bowling decent balls at him, he wasn't gonna, they weren't going to get him out. Uh, and I, I just think he, he grew in confidence, technique came back, looked a lot more solid, and, you know, fair play to the lad. Yeah. Um, it was interesting that you mentioned that that Sri Lanka basically gave two innings away. I read a couple of articles and saw it all over Twitter. Is that it almost feels like Sri Lanka lost the series instead of yeah. England winning it? I mean, you take Joe Root's two big scores out of it, and I know that that he's a big he's a big player. But did England perform as well as they should have or they could have? You know, given that it is Sri Lanka. I'm not saying that they're underperforming, but you look at what South Africa did to them. Uh, you know, you you maybe take Joe Root's innings out, and then it's it's sort of an even contest. I don't think the batters did great, other than Joe Root. I think against a Sri Lanka bowling attack that was basically a left-arm spinner, and that did. Yeah. Um, Joe Root showed people how to play, and yes, he played very well. Um, Bairstow, I thought, played quite well um, when they were in the mire in the first innings. And again, in the first innings, when they were seven for two or whatever they were, he's come in and he's shown... He's shown an amount of application, which, to be fair, he's done in Sri Lanka before. Mm. He's He looks like he's got a plan. He looks like he fits comfortably at three. So what we decide to do is not pick him for when you go to India, which I, 
I understand it's probably completely for non-cricketing reasons, and I completely go with that, and that's fine. Um, part of me just wishes they'd say that. <laughs> like, just yeah. come out with it and say, look, at the minute, he's, he is our number three, but we're not picking him because he's been in, in a bubble since March or whatever. Just just say that. Yeah. Um, I was listening to something today where they were saying um, they think the reason for that, that they... they the reason that they announced it before this test rather than after this test was because people would say that he was, they were doing it for the wrong reason. So at least they've kind of put their stake in the ground and said, look, these three lads are going home, end of, regardless of how well they play in the next test or whatever, they are not going to play the first two tests in but India. They've not said why. They've not said why. All that does is lead, to, is lead to people like us trying to think, well, is Johnny Bairstow okay? Is he has he dealt with it all right? Is is Josh Butler all right? Because Johnny Bairstow wasn't in the side. I think He's not the, the, the way that they've done it with Stokes, uh, Stokes slightly different, obviously with his dad, yeah. but Archer having a rest and this and that. These boys are going to play a huge amount of cricket uh, when you consider the next IPL, which a lot of them will be going to. Then they come home for an English summer, which is now packed because New Zealand have confirmed two tests over here. I'm sure. I'm sure the reason for that is because I'm sure Kane Williamson's got on the phone to Joe Root and says, well, look, mate, you prefer us to the Indians and the Australians. And so if you give us a couple of tests to warm us up before the World Test Championship final, then that'll, see us, that'll do us a right favour. Um, but then World T20, then they've got the Ashes. You know, a big, big year in an England shirt this year, just in terms of big matches, but also like a lot of, of huge workload. Yeah. I, I completely agree, completely agree. But tell us... I was about to say that. I mean, I don't know if you picked up. I don't know if you picked up the stump chat from Dick Willer. Yeah, where he was having that conversation with uh, with Bairstow, saying, um, "What you've been dropped? You know what's going on? You you going to the IPL for money?" He was absolutely giving it to him, and then you know here he was he was yeah. absolutely giving it to him. It was, was brilliant. Really, yeah, it, it was really really good chat. It, it was, was sledging perfectly. Yeah. It, it was everything about sledging that sledging should be. Yeah. And what what we saw the other week with the Australians and all that kind of stuff, none of that. Just a bloke having a laugh and chatting. At no stage was he offensive. At no stage was he like, he was just like, all, all stuff that you, me, and the world have read. And he can sit there and go, right, I'm just going to throw this at him. And he did it with a smile on his face, laughing, having a laugh and a joke. Asked Joe Root for a bat. Like, hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to Johnny Bester, you're just in it for the cash. Like, what are England playing you for these two two games? Like, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it was it was exactly yeah. what I, I think legend should be about. I love that when Dan Lawrence came in and he basically yeah. said, "Boys, we're in trouble here. This is the this is their best uh, player of a spin. We're in trouble." And then halfway through the conversation, he walks up to him and says, um, I, "I need some advice. Can you help me be, get better, please?" He's basically asking him for advice. Yeah. It's just absolutely quality. To be fair, yeah. I think Dan, Dan Lawrence has done all right. I'm not sure whether he'll retain his place if people like Pope are fit. Um, to be to go back to Bairstow for a minute, though, I think the I think his innings this morning changed it. He hit that six that went into a bucket of whitewash. Did you see it? And they had to yeah. change the top edge line marking paint. Um, but I think the way he counterattacked, he came and he's obviously watched Root. He batted a lot with Root in the first uh, test. A lot of hard sweeps, you know, but I, I thought Bairstow played really, really nicely. Dan Lawrence, as I say, I think he's done himself favours. Butler, fair play to him. Two really mature innings. 
Don Best batted really well in the first dig to support the captain. So I think there are positives to come out of the, the series for England. Joe Root obviously takes the plaudits. Um, I think we need to... The spinners maybe perhaps didn't... Yeah, I know. Look, they've got wickets. 10, 10 in the second dig. Best got, they both got a fiver in the first match as well. But I don't... I think if everybody looks at it, they'll go, they didn't look like world-class spinners. Well, it's interesting you say that. I saw a stat today that um, Joe Leach has taken... Uh, uh, Jack Leach. Why did I call him Joe there for some reason? Joe's got a in it. Big big Friday, big night. That's in. why. Just yeah, it. that's why. Um but but the comment the comment was is that they he's he's now taken the most he's taken the most amount of wickets as a spinner in Sri Lanka that from an England point of view, so surely he's doing something well. He, I mean he has he's nowhere toured as many times as as the other spinners that have gone over there. So from my perspective, he's done really well. I agree, but also I was listening when I was watching Sky the other day. They were saying that these lads go out there a lot more now than they used to. So they have their training camps, right? Well, that. But Michael Atherton, I think, said he's toured Sri Lanka once in his entire international career, whereas Jack Leach, um, Jack Leach hey. um, has played there twice. He's played two test series there in the space of three years. So yeah. I think the calendar has... Look, not to take anything away from Jack Leach, since Headingley, he will be England's like favourite spinning sunglasses perspectacle man ever. But um, I, yeah, I think the calendar would, would have helped that. Slightly. Yeah, absolutely. What did them... I know Joe, uh, Joe Root's batting. This is more a question for you, Huge. Um, what did you think to his captaincy? Um, I'll be honest, and I didn't really see much. He was he was very proactive. Put it that way. I didn't think he had to be very proactive, though, because the Sri Lankans were throwing their wickets away. I mean, uh, like I say, I, you know, the 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 I don't think the Sri Lankans, besides the first innings of this Test match, actually showed any application with the bat. Um, and that's why I was asking the question: Are England's batters? in the same boat. I mean, you know, when with England now, possibly, and I know we're going to move on to that in a second, when, when we talk about them touring to, to India, is that the right preparation that they've been through and have they applied themselves to the best of their ability considering the lineup that Sri Lanka has versus considering what the bowling lineup is going to look for India? Um, but again, that's the test that we're going to see, you know, in, in the future. And I suppose, you know, that now brings us on to, to, to what we're going to be talking about is, is now, you know, is cricket finished now? I mean, you know, there's no more England cricket to watch for the next couple of weeks. Um, well, hang on, there is. There is. There's a game tomorrow, lads. Um, I don't know if you've seen, but South Africa are going to be playing Pakistan. Um, really? Any thoughts on that? Who cares? I thought <laughs> you might say that. <laughs> I thought you might say that. So we'll move swiftly over that one. I just wanted to make sure that to any of our listeners that are Antipodeans, there is the South African um, side that is playing against Pakistan, and it's the first time they're touring in a very long time. So, is that, yeah. is that in Pakistan, or is that in? It is. It is. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, in which case, that is incredible. Yeah. That, that. I mean, that 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 should be in terms of what that's in in general. Yes, in terms of cricket, it might not be the greatest news, yeah. to, or the the greatest, not the right word, but the biggest news for. Um, for, for cricket fans, certainly in the UK, but in terms of cricket as a whole, yeah. that is the biggest news that's come out of cricket since Cameron, what's his face, pulled a black and decker sander out his underpants in Cape Town. Yeah. But that, that is that is massive, yeah, massive, 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 massive. And it's amazing. Uh, slower back of the hand whiffers get whopped into the middle of like. Next week, by Bakarizam <laughs> on wickets that he's used to playing on. <laughs> yeah. What was it? Um, Azar Ali. There was a start about Azar Ali. He's played Test cricket for ten years. He's never played, played well. 
No, he's played once. His he's first won. test. His first test was at home. Yeah, that is quite a stat. I'm not. I yeah, that's I believe a it's, it's John. It might be right. It might be none, but I believe it's one. Either way, when you think of it like that. So this is this is a huge occasion for Pakistan cricket, as we rightly so. And I mean, it was really it was put into perspective when Quinton de Klock uh, when Quinton de Klock um, answered the media, and he was like, as soon as uh, yeah, the clock. when when Quinton de Klock looked at his what, I'll tell you what, <laughs> his watch, <laughs> your watch, right? Okay, you taken this uh, lead hosting role like a duck to water. <laughs> oh, that's why I say it's amazing uh, when Quinton de Klock got off the plane. The first thing he said was the amount of security that was around him made them feel much better, just to make sure that, you know, everything was good from that point of view. So, yeah, that, that's obviously good news. Moving swiftly on, onto the uh, prospects that England are going to have when they tour India. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on it? Too far away? Uh, we're not taking the right side? You know, what, what, what's your thoughts? Depend, depends on um, who's fit for India, I think. I, I think the batting lineup is phenomenal. They've only got, they've got Coley to come back. Shubman Gill, as a youngster, looked amazing. Uh, Rohit Sharma, quality player across all formats. We know that. Uh, Jadeja will be a massive miss. Uh, originally, it was two tests, then it was four tests, and now they reckon that he might. He had an operation, so he might be available for the latter half of the series. Um, Ravi Ashwin, Pajara, um, Rahane. Like, you just look at that entire thing. You'd say that you would have tr- punched holes in the bowling attack it was playing in Australia, but they just beat Australia in Australia. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Siraj, um, the, the um, Nanamatullah or whatever his name is, there's the left armour and the other right armour. They're a proper outfit. And we were talking the other night, weren't we, about these guys are cutting their teeth in the IPL. Yeah. So they don't get, you don't get time to watch. They're not playing at the Count Chelmsford in front of 45 people on a wet Wednesday in March. These are in front of 120,000 people, and that's how they learn their trade. So test cricket doesn't phase these boys. They're in, and they're just ready to hit the ground running, whereas you know, it might take others from other areas of the world to fly the longer. So um, I reckon India, start, you've got to start fearing them again, I think. Uh, I think India are going to be right right at the top, for, you know, or up near the top for, for a long time. Yeah, totally agree. Simon, any thoughts from you on that? I, I don't think there's a better eleven in world cricket than India. Um, which 11? Because, I mean, you know. Well, it, whichever one they choose to pick. Like, it, it's it, in terms of 11 players, India have got the best 11. But, like, we've just been through the batting order. Shreyas Iyer, Pretty Patel, um, not, um, yeah, Pretty, not Pretty Patel, but Pretty Patel, or the, the opening batter that smashed it ever in the IPL. Um, like, He's it, retired. They, I might have that wrong. No, the, no, pretty sure. Sorry, pretty sure. That's it. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, started, yeah. He got a thousand in a game as a kid, didn't he? Um, well played. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they can't. They can't get in. Like they, they could pick any out of probably twenty players. Well, you look at their B team. Well, I wrote a list down the other day when we were going to talk about the big smoke thing of players that were injured. There are seven players injured out of that last test. And those seven players would walk in to any team in the world. Yeah. Um, they bowled Australia out twice without their five best seamers. Yeah. They, 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 there is no, there are better players. Don't get me wrong. There's a Pat Cummins would walk in, would get into India's team. Uh, Kane Williamson will get into India's team. But as an 11, 
there isn't a better one for me. Um, and How are you going to get Pajara out? How is anybody ever going to get Pajara out? It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if you guys watched um, any, how much of that kind of last day you guys watched at the Gabba. Like, he wore it and wore it and wore it and wore it and just went, keep coming, chaps, because I'm not going anywhere. And yeah. like when he was there, his second ball with the second new ball coming is trapped in LBW. It's either a brilliant decision, and I think I'd love to talk about this in real great detail one day because – with DRS, I can't remember the name of the umpire, but he gave it out, and it's literally clipping the upright of the, the leg stump. Now, to me, that's a brilliant decision because that's hitting the wicket. But then I had a conversation on commentary today, and I was like, well, is that a good decision or is that not a good decision? And, and some people say that's not a good decision because reviews allow for half a ball. No, the umpire's job, if they think it's hitting the wicket... I don't matter how much of the ball's hitting the cricket. Yeah, okay. DRS has changed cricket, I think, for, for, the, for the detriment of cricket. I, I think umpires go either way, don't they? Umpires act like we do. Yeah. Umpires now go either way on it. You, you'll get like Darmacena. Darmacena's are not out. You've seen that today. Yeah. You get Bibley not out twice. Which I thought me, one of them was absolutely plumb. Yeah, it's, it's just out. And like, the ball is smashing. If that... There was one in the Australia game the other day which got not out and on review. I think it was Pat Cummins bowling. It might not be, but it got given not out on review. Half the ball, if that misses his pad, leg stump is through the keeper. Let's not <laughs> piss it out. There's no debate whether it's out. There was there was another one today. Uh, Sibley got one, went back, hit him on the knee roll. Like went mad. It's smashing the top of leg yeah, stump. It was. Half and half, bang. The ball is going for four through backward square leg off the stump. It's not it's not nicking it in the keeper's thing, is it? Not out. I'm sorry, but if we trust the technology, and yes, I'm a bowler, and I think the game is just going more and more and more towards batters, and umpires can take the easy option of just going not out because they can it's easy for an umpire to go, I don't think that's hitting the stumps, or I'm not hundred percent that's hitting the stumps. Yeah, and when you see it on review, you'll see it and go, right, yeah, 98% of the ball smashing into the stumps, but that 2%'s not. So he's like, sorry, that's just put one stump in then. Just have one stump that's four inch wide in the middle and go, right, yeah, fine, we'll go with that. It definitely yeah. sounds like we need to have a conversation on this <laughs> another topic in more detail. However, what we do need to do is we do need to say thank you to a couple of people, specifically our partners. Um, we'd like to thank Big Smoke for their continued sponsorship and making sure that we watered and we, we continue to try and entertain you with some of the chat that we have. How many are you on now, Jono? Are you on number four? No, You're still the first one, mate. Don't you worry. I'm on the first one. Lining man. Up. We'd also like to thank our charity partners, uh, the Lord's Taverners. Um, and as always, uh, please um, text TAVS11 to 70331 um, to give young people a sporting chance. Please make sure that you're over the age of 16 and you do have the bull payers' permission. Um, what we're now going to do is take a, a short break um, and you're going to hear a, a note from our partners, the Lord's Taverners. And after that, you'll hear the voice of John O'Gordon. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. 
Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to our charity partners, the Lords Taverners, for their continued support. Um, as as you can hear, my voice is, is full of laughter because... Um, Jono makes this look very, very easy, and uh, it's difficult being on this side of the table. And um, as you can probably hear with the clock and a number of the other uh, errors that we've made tonight, um, this is going swimmingly well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jono, we do have a, a very important conversation to talk to you about tonight, and, and obviously it's a very serious one too. So I'll try and keep my, my face as straight as possible now. So um, as Simon did episode three, and he went through his story as to you know how he went through his, uh, his challenges and how he fought them face-to-face, we're going to do something similar with Jono tonight. And I suppose, Jono, you know, we wanted to talk to you about your topic and specifically how, um, you know, you came through your upbringing and how you went through the adoption system, etc. Do you want to maybe give us a bit of a kickoff as to um, how that influenced you and how you sort of grew up during those challenging times? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's still something that I... I'm affected by on a on a on a daily basis. I think it's so ingrained in my personality now, and I know we'll come on to later that you know when we're talking about Luke Sutton and and how you know amazing I found reading his book, but then um, what what kind of it gave me off the back of that, and 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 the inter- doing the interview with him gave me. Um, so I was born in the Isle of Man, um, then transported. Um, sounds like a, quite a crass way to say it, but through through an adoption agency, my parents can't have kids uh, for whatever reason. It's something that I've never particularly asked them about. It's not something that I ever. It's none of my business, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so yeah, there I was, moved from the Isle of Man to Hazel Grove, just outside Stockport, which is where I spent the the kind of early years. And um, yeah, you know, I was I, I didn't I've never known anything else. Um, to me, life has always been normal. Um, I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky now that I'm old enough to look back that I've always known I was adopted. Uh, people, one of the obvious questions that people always ask when they find out you're adopted, because it's quite a not a taboo subject, but people don't talk about it that often. And pe- I find people are quite often a very interested when I say I'm adopted, but also then it leads on to something where they know someone else who's adopted. And it's something that you can actually bond through, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I don't feel like there's ever been a day in my life where I haven't known that I was adopted. So I, I'm, you know, and I have thanked my parents for for this. Is the fact that I I feel like I've always known. Yeah. Was, uh, my my mum's best friend was a lady called Sally, God rest her soul, and and she um, had a child. Then was the her and her husband didn't think they could have any more kids. Fostered a boy called Matthew. Then Sam came out of nowhere, um, I, but then their decision as a family was not to tell Matthew until he was eighteen, um, and it it ruined his life. He he um, he was in jail on and off, and wow. you, know, it, you know 
and this is why I think I'm so thankful for the fact that I've always known and I've always had not a coping mechanism, but I've never known any different. So I couldn't ever relate to any other kind of way of being. Whereas I think it really affected Matthew. And look, they were such amazing people. They never did it. For, they didn't do it for a, any other reason than thinking that that was the right way to approach it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's had a terrible effect on him, and you know, it's it's a shame to see where his life's. It's sad, it. but at the same time, it's good that that you knew, and I suppose with you knowing and obviously finding out at an early age, you must have done a little bit of research into how that adoption sort of works. You know, did you did you ever delve into some of it to understand? Was it a was it an easy process? Do you do you know much about it or not? Not really. Um, and, and I'll be completely honest, I don't care. I, I, I have zero interest in finding out who my birth parents are. Like, my parents are my parents. Yeah. Um, my younger brother is also adopted. Um, he's not... He, Of course, he is my brother, but he's not my brother. Um, by blood, if that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, like, as a family, we and we're so tight. You know, I mean, look, I've put my parents through absolute hell at times. And probably use the adoption as a bit of a stick to beat them with when I, you know, as a teenager or whatever. But you will never find two more supportive people of everything and anything that I've ever wanted to do. And we talk about it now quite a lot and, and whatever. It's still a bit of a weird subject. We, 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 but they are my parents. That that is it. Uh, they are Jamie's parents. That, that is it. There's no. Um, and so we'll be we'll be eternally grateful for that. Um, it doesn't work out. You know, I've had a real positive experience. I, I, the way I view my adoption is that I could, I, I have no idea what would have happened to me, A, if I'd have stayed with my birth parents. Um, and you hear horror stories about stuff that happens to, to the kids left in that unfortunate situation. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's, it's not a, I just see my life, I, I don't see myself as any different to Simon or yourself or whatever. Like, you know, this, this is my situation. It's my brother's situation. It's, the Gordon situation, as it as it were, and as a family, we've you know I turned thirty eight last week, and I, I think I've turned out all right. So they've done a reasonable job, I guess. <laughs> no, a lot of people would argue with that last statement. <laughs> we're very quiet, John. No, 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 no. You're, you're. <laughs> um, obviously, knowing you, I do. You've got a great way of dealing with. Um, Obviously, you, you, you've always been quite open about the fact. So, like me, since knowing you and Lisa, you've always been very open with the fact that they've, they've, the fact you have been adopted and, and that type of thing. But um, you've got one of the best ways of dealing with the question of where are you from. That yeah. I've sort of I I know. So, do you want to tell us a bit about one why you do it and two what it is? Uh, yeah, I mean, people people often challenge me about like you know where where are you from then? Well. I don't fucking know. I have a, have a pop, have a guess. Uh, <laughs> literally, that, is, that is how much I know. Literally, short-sighted naff all. Like I, that is, and that's also how much I care. It is like I, it, it bears no resemblance on my life. Um, it, and and the people that happen to be my parents and my birth parents have no real marking on my life, other than you know coming together to and, and here I am. I guess like. Um, there's that nature over nurture thing. Me, my brother and I, and anybody else who's in our situation, it is 100% nurture. Um, and those people who, for whatever reason, can't have kids, uh, whether that's biological or, or whatever, they decide those, you know, gay couples or whatever, choosing to take on a children, all, all power to you. Like, I, I just think it's an incredible thing because you, you are taking on 
something that is potentially a ticking time bomb. Because when when do you tell them? How do you tell them? And and then to you know you when you when making a decision to adopt a child, you, you you've got to also weigh that up and actually know that you've got to go through that process. Um, I mean, I've had I've had people say I'm anything from Afghani to Albanian to Portuguese to Brazilian to Pakistani. I mean, I, I, I said something last week, didn't I? About my mate who sends me a photo of Inzamamul Haq on my birthday every week. Uh, <laughs> Every year, and that, and you know what? I, again, but I, I don't care whether I'm Italian or Israeli. I, do you know what? The, the way that the world is now, I've always just viewed myself as Jono or Johnny. Everyone used to call me Johnny when I was younger, um, but now Jono. Right? And and as far as I that, I want people to view me the way I view other people. And if you're a decent, honest kind of decent human, the rest of it doesn't matter. Like, I really, really don't care. Um, give me, I, I, I've always trusted people 100%, and I, and I will run with that. But then give me a reason not to trust you, and then I'm done. And then it's yeah. a very, very, very tough wall to kind of climb over to start winning my trust back. And I think that's my own preferred way of, of being. Like these people who make it hard for you to get to know them and stuff. Like you're only, you're only upsetting yourself by worrying about stuff like that. Like, if those people, if people want to be like that, let them be like that. You know, um, yeah. life's too short. Yeah, I can, I can remember when, when we were doing my episode and, like, you, you said to me, like, when I was talking about the fact that I wasn't from the cricket of Simon Roberts to Simon Roberts and whatever, you always said, no, you, to me, you've always just been Si or Robbo, and that's, I think that's, a, that, that's a brilliant way of looking at things. But, um, so, like I said, we've known each other for a, a few years now and whatnot, so um, you've always, you've spoken to me, certainly, about growing up in a predominantly white area, yeah, being non-white, obviously not knowing quite how non-white or whatever, but being quite clearly non-white is, is sort of how you describe yourself. Like, can you give us some examples of what it was like growing up in that situation? And secondly, if if that was, if you think that was racism, poor education, or something we spoke to uh, Matt about last week, which is like unconscious bias, like yeah. So yeah, the um, it's funny. Like you know, when you have to fill a questionnaire out and it says, "Where what's your ethnicity?" I've always really, really struggled with that. Yeah. Um, because I see myself as white English, because that is that is my background. That's how I've been brought up. I am so English in my outlook and whatever. And the it's funny how Matt was saying you just become in your mannerisms and the way you go about things and. You know, see someone throwing chewing gum on the floor, and I'm like, "Oh, right, you can't do that. That's a terribly, you know, that's just not cricket." Or it's a, <laughs> it's a very English way of being. Um, but also, you know, you have bad things about being grown up as someone like that. Uh, you know, stiff upper lip and, and hating the French, and you know that kind of t- stereotypical thing. Um, but yeah, growing up, there's something, and I think about this all the time, and why I let it bother me. I don't know, and I just wish. And there's a very funny story about it. Um, I must have been about seven or eight. I know at primary school, a lot of white kids. There was another kid. Um, there was a kid called Thomas Marrow at my school, and he was Italian. And his dad, I just thought, was the coolest guy ever. Like this Italian guy, Italian accent, absolute legend of a bloke. Um, and then you know that he was in our group, and I always kind of associated myself because he was obviously olive skinned. And I was like. And I went through a stage when I got a bit older 
or you know, even through that age, where are you from? Oh, I'm Italian. I don't know fucking idea whether I'm Italian or whether I'm anything else. But because Thomas Marrow, who I grew up with from being six to sixteen or whatever it was, was Italian, and I thought, well, I kind of look a little bit like him. I can't. That I found myself throughout a lot of time when I was younger, and probably I don't know, until you know you, you come out your teens or your young adolescent or whatever, latching onto that. Someone at, where you and it, I was never ashamed of being adopted, but that was always just an easy thing for me to say to kind of shut people up because people would kind of go. Well, it could be. And so they just leave it. Whereas now I'm a lot more open about it and happy to talk about it. Then I was just like, deflect, deflect, deflect. Oh, I'm Italian. Where from? And I've been on holiday to Lake Garda. Uh, Solo on Lake Garda. Because that, but, cause then you've got an answer to a secondary question. Then people will leave you alone. Yeah. Um, but there was another guy. There was another kid. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, but kind of playground bully. Dad was a bit of a prick. Um, you know, stories going around, you know, his dad was a knobhead, thought he was the local kind of big dick. I went round to the to his house. I was quite friendly with his son. Same same form, same school age and all that. I went round to his house one day and his dad opened the door. And I remember I'm seven maybe at this time. And he said, all right, Johnny, you're looking more like a packy every day. Oh, my God. And it, imagine, so and me, I just kind of went, yeah, right, whatever, in you go, play scale extra. I mean, this kid had everything. His dad had loads of coin and whatever, but he was a right prick looking back. Um, so, you know, gone there the afternoon, played, gone home. And I went, I remember getting back and thinking, should I tell my dad? And my dad, like, he's one of those really quiet blokes, but he, he, he's tough, like, you know, not hard and never out yeah. with but you know, you know that if he needed to, he'd, he'd kind of really step up. And um, I remember <laughs> getting home, telling my dad, "Oh, he said, how's your day been, or whatever." I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Phil said this. Um, I'm glad I didn't say his surname. Uh, Phil said this." And next thing I hear, woof, doors shut, front door's gone, and he, and I actually said to him the other day, "I said, you know, when I told you about this, did you go around there and have a, you know?" He said. I've, don't know what you're talking about. And he just, <laughs> he, he did, but he, and my dad's great like that. He just shut the conversation down. He's like, don't talk. It. That's parked, done, on we go. So then we yeah. just had about another 15 godfathers, and then on Christmas Day was an absolute hellhole for me. My dad <laughs> woke up and got on with it. Um, but, yeah, like, and I think in that situation, that guy was ill-educated, ignorant, um you know, saw himself as better than everyone else. When, in fact, you know, now that I'm older, more, you know, more common than anybody else, made a few quid, all of a sudden thinks he's buried big bollocks. Uh, and, and so actually, but then as a few years later, it's funny how things come around because his company went bust, he lost all his money and off he popped. So um, his son's actually done pretty well for himself now. And he was always a, he was always a good egg, just badly uh, influenced. Um, you know, I had met plenty of run-ins with him, but um, yeah, he's doing all right for himself now. And you kind of hear on the grapevine about how your old schoolmates are doing. And um, fair play to him, but yeah, I, I hope he's uh, well, I, I hope he's changed his ways and not taking his personality from his old man. Yeah. And how about in in cricket? Growing up within cricket, I never experienced racism in cricket necessarily. Football um, more than anything. Being a kid. You know, born in early 83, you know, 
early 90s, late 80s, the world really hadn't kind of, you know, people, the, the, the remnants of Thatcherism were still kind of knocking about and people were still kind of just, there's some pretty nasty people and just some pretty ill-tempered views on anything that wasn't kind of the whole two-by-four-children style approach or, you know, English-white or people just either weren't educated enough to actually realise that, you know, there's a scope of, um, like, a rainbow of, of people and, you know, everybody's the same. It's like you either fit into our societal um, kind of demographic or we don't want to know you and we'll just call you whatever we want and think we can get away with it. Um, cricket, I, I, I loved like instantly from, uh, but yeah, never really, never really. I, I played a lot as I was growing up in um, Liverpool in kind of Birkenhead. Um, playing cricket against a load of angry scousers on a Saturday when, you know, at 13, 14 years old, they, you know, steaming in and then calling your mother all sorts, trying to, you know, so you'll nick it off or whatever. Um, but racism, no, look, it's a gentleman's sport, cricket, isn't it? I know we have a, I, I'm as bad as anybody for having a bit of a chirp on the pitch, but. I think people who play cricket understand the the heritage of the game, and that you know, for the most part, there's a line that you shouldn't really cross. And I suppose when you when you look back at that, was it your family that got you into cricket, or, or where did it come from? I mean, you had a very lo- loving family, and and I suppose when you actually look at cricket right now, you're a very I think uh, you're affectionately known as uh, JC uh, JG uh, Badger, right? So JG Cricket got... Badger is my Twitter handle, yeah. Uh, that, and is that self proclaimed? Is it is it something that somebody gave <laughs> yeah. to you, or? I mean, you know, how did you, where did it start? Clint McCabe is just calls me every time I text him or or either of his brothers or his dad now, uh, they just always text me an emoji of a badger back as if it's something to do with cricket. Uh, so I've got Clint and the boys to thank for that. But I mean, to get to get into cricket, so is you know they say that kind of affection skips a generation. So more often than not, you are uh, more in tune or more um, affectionate with your grandparents rather than your parents or, or whatever. So that was certainly the case for me. So I spent so much time with my uh, maternal grandparents. So my dad's dad died way before I was born. My dad's mum is still alive now, but my mum's parents are both dead. Um, my fir- my granddad was called Vic, um, Albert Victor Wales. Um, and he, my, my first word was Vic or Bic, or something like that. Like, um, and I just had the most phenomenal relationship with him. Like, he used to frame pictures in his garage after for people after he, you know, retired and stuff. And apparently I would just sit, he built, like, built me a chair, and I would just sit looking at him for hours. Like, I'd do a day's work just sitting looking at my granddad. I was absolutely in awe of him. Um, and I think when I was maybe three or four, he made me a cricket bat. Um, and apparently I dragged this thing with me everywhere. Like, granddad had made it for me. That's going everywhere I go. You know, like most kids drag a blanket around. Uh, I was dragging this cricket bat around. Um, and as I got a bit older, like there was this stanchion on the side of his garage that we painted some wickets on. And I just had a tennis ball and I would just run up after school every day. So as long as the weather was good, practice, practice, practice. Um, and But him and my nana, uh, Mona, um, got me into cricket. She was a massive Yorkshire fan. She grew up in Leeds. He was a Lancastrian boy, um, grew up in Manchester. So it was always the red rose against the white rose, you know, and I was you know, always arguing that she wouldn't cook him tea when the, you know, they, they were playing against each other in the summer and stuff. Um, and it, like, he was a, he was brilliant. Like, um, don't kid a kidder. 
he, he always used to call me kidder because uh, he knew I was always trying to get one over on him, but that he wouldn't let it happen. Like, so smart, so streetwise. Um, real good looking boy in his day as well. Like, I went to the, I was in the army and all that. And my uncle says, God knows how many kind of uh, relationships you've got from when Victor was in hospital in Essex when he, he got, I think he was like Tom Hanks, I think he got shot in the arse when he was doing something in Africa or whatever and probably paraded around Essex for a few months. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, they, they they made me fall in love with cricket. Like we used to go on family holidays, and apparently I'd have a bat and a ball, and I'd find a game of cricket, and I would just stand there with a bat and with a ball, not say anything, like on the imaginary boundary when we used to go caravanning holidays, until they would invite me to play, and then I would either be batting or bowling. Like the people whose game it was, don't give a shit. Like, Johnny's here and he's getting involved. Like um, I just instantly fell in love with the game and everything about it, and and that has never, never waned for me. Never left you, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned your grandfather. I know, um, I know from conversations we've had that he passed away in two thousand, and he was a massive part and a massive influence. One on your cricket, but two, the man you've become. And it was interesting when we were doing the uh, Luke Sutton interview that um, you know during that process of talking to Luke and going through it that albeit 21 years later, just about, or 20 yeah. years later, had reared up some emotions for you. Do you maybe want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, the, I found the, the whole experience of um, getting to know Luke, funnily enough, I was on the phone to him last week about something, um, reading his book. You know, I said to you guys, I was like, I've literally sat here and read this cover to cover. Yeah. Like, couldn't put it down. And then to interview him, and I, you know, and it, it took not an emotional toll on me, but, you know, there, there was this whole... Um, I, I seem to have this whole weird thing in my mind where for a period, because, whether it was the adoption or whatever, I, it's either a chip on my shoulder or whatever, but I had that whole thing about thinking that I was more entitled to something because I was adopted. So the world owed me something. So like, you can't talk to me like that or I deserve that more than you. And I, I went through a long period of my life thinking that for some stupid reason, I was better than everybody else. Maybe because subconsciously I've looked at the situation of being adopted and thinking, well, that could have been shit, but actually... I've been really lucky and I've been born into, you know, a family that's got a, got a bit like not, not rich. I had a conversation with my mum last week and she was saying that at times I, my dad cycled to work and she had to take a part-time job because we were really struggling. But at that point I didn't know any better. And since as I've gotten older, my mum and dad have always been such good savers, which is good because I'm an absolute spender um, (laughs) (laughs) that I've only ever known as to be in a situation where we were, you know, pretty comfortable. So, um, yeah, my, look, my granddad dying, um, like, ended my world. Um, I'm getting choked up about it now. Um, like, destroyed me. Um, when you you spend 21 years of your life being told that this was your first word and just everything, my, my world revolved around that man. And, um, yeah. It was just the whole. It was weird. Like I remember it like it was five minutes ago. Like I'd left him at hospital. So I didn't see him. I got on the bus home, um, walked in, sat in, sat in the lounge with my dad, and I knew my mum and my nana were there. Um, and take your time, bud. Um. My mum and my nana were there. But he um, sent them away um, and asked me to feed him 
And I'd, I, at the time, I didn't realise. Um, but that was his last meal. Wow. Um, so I then, and at the time, I didn't realise him sending them away. I then go home, get back to my dad, um, and I've been home maybe 10 minutes. And we're sat and we're watching some shit on telly. It wasn't a soap that night because well, obviously my mum wasn't there, so it kind of been Emmerdale or Coronation Street East End. <laughs> um, and the phone rang, and so I was in the lounge with my dad. There was a phone in the lounge, but there was also a phone in the hall. And my dad, my dad and I looked at each other, and my dad got up and went and answered the phone in the hall. Um, I followed him. And put my head around the door, and he looked at me. And then I blacked out for about an hour. Um, I can't, can't remember what happened. Um, and ever since, I haven't cried about this probably in twenty years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, you just put something in a corner, and you try not to deal with it. Um, and I sure you know, I was thirty-eight last week. Um, but I think if this podcast has taught me anything, it's that anything's okay. And to talk about anything, like, it happened 21 years ago. It's like, I, I, subconsciously, I still really struggle with it. Um, and it's all right. So, you know, a thousand people might listen to this. Do I care about crying in front of them? Do I fuck? Like, I think it shows strength. It doesn't show, um, it doesn't show weakness. Um, I think being able to admit that you've got a problem with something and you've got something that needs addressing is more powerful than like just hiding away from it. Um, would I have been able to go through this process three months ago before we started doing this? Absolutely not. And I think that's testament to what we've heard other people say and what other people have been so open with us about. Um, I think we all show, see this as a bit of a cathartic thing. Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure this isn't particularly easy for you to do that. It was hard enough listening to Simon do, do his platforming <laughs> on the on YouTube and all that. But um yeah, I, I just just destroyed me. Um and then, you know, I went through some pretty dark days and that's you know, then put my parents through some pretty, pretty dark days. Um you know, couldn't had to accept it. You have to accept that you your best friend and your you know, your granddad's gone. But it's then, you know, you subconsciously, um, you, you, you can't, you just don't let it go. You don't accept it. You, you don't, you don't move on. Um, and that's, that's something that I really, really, really struggle with. And again, you know, it kind of almost intensifies the chip on your shoulder. And um, I just ran away from it. I, you know, I just, you know, you just, you just go wherever you feel that's most comfortable. And that's where, um I went through a period of not really staying in any one place for too long, you know, kind of moved about the country a little bit doing different, you know, and what I was doing kind of suited that, I guess, to a point. But, like, yeah, I just never really dealt with it. And I think now now I have, you know, over a period of time, or maybe I haven't. Look, I'm a 38 man year old, year old man crying about it now. Like, Nothing wrong with crying. Yeah. Like, really, I, I think, think you're the only one there, mate. <laughs> don't, don't Luke... Coming out of the Luke thing, A, it was the thinking you're better than other people. 
which is terrible and you should never do. But also then realising that with that and losing people, so if you, you know, through reading his book, he obviously lost his uh, one of his ex-girlfriends, that if you don't let go of it, if you don't deal with stuff in order to let go of it, then this, this shit will haunt you forever. Um, and so I actually had a chat with Lisa, my wife, about it. And I said, look, I think I've got some unresolved issues that I need to talk to someone about. And so I've, I'm kind of taking steps to do that. And that is something that I never would have said before because I would have seen it as accepting some form of defeat and thinking, well, John Gordon's stronger than that. This isn't you. Like, you know, everything about me, for anybody that knows me, is outwardly so strong. You know, taking the mick out of other people and being a, a lad and always wanting to be involved in the banter and, you know, taking such pride in my sport and being, you know, decent at cricket and being decent at golf and stuff. There's that kind of alpha male thing. And that's the kind of outwardly, the outward thing I've always wanted to show. But, you know, there's a lot of, you you kind of open the curtains back and, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that I've been battling with. I, I, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about is the, the kind of adoption stuff uh, when, I, when I finally kind of, you know, settle down and actually pick someone that I want to talk to. Um, there's stuff there that is yet to be kind of um, properly dealt with, I think. You know, um, yeah, it's funny. It, it was safe for me. Um, but yeah, you know, he was a big part, a huge part of my life. Um, my nana, my nana died much more recently, maybe five, six, six years, five, oh, six years ago. The funny, funny story about my nana: she was a joker up until the end. So my girlfriend before Lisa was called Amelia, um, and I, she, she was in bed, but she, you know, pretty much bed bound by this point. Uh, and I took Lisa up to meet her for the first time, and my mum, she had dementia by this point, but my mum had been prepping her. All the time, like Lisa is coming to see you. Well, we both say in there, Oh, Amelia, it's so nice to see you again. She's <laughs> and you obviously know Lisa well, and she didn't know what to do, but she, you know, proper trooper, she got through it and what have you. But yeah, I, look, so incredibly lucky to, to have had those two people in my life, and you know, I'll be eternally grateful for that. Yeah, family's massively important, and I'm, I'm glad that you shared that story because you know, mm-hmm. they are the people that mold us. I mean. You know, your grandparents had a huge effect on, on you and specifically by the sounds of things, your uh, your cricketing prowess. And uh, I suppose if you didn't walk around the field with a cricket bat, you wouldn't have been able to uproot my off stump last year. <laughs> so funny to say that, you, especially someone with a, an international average nearing 50. <laughs> long time ago. I do keep reminding you about it as well. <laughs> yeah, I was, I've never heard this story. And, I thought uh, I'd bring it up before you did. That's why I'm learning. I'm learning. Brilliant. Never happens, I. It's a joke. That means it's onto your personal cricket, which I know is um, something that you've it been, you've been very well. You've been very successful. You've you've done a lot of things that that I think, looking back on it, I think your granddad would be very proud of, and I, and I think you should sort of always think about that when you do it. But you obviously started up in Manchester. Then went and played at Wimbledon, where you you did okay, I think. It's probably better than okay. And then you moved to OWs, old Wimbledonians, as captain and did a bit of that. Um, and now you've moved to, I think I think you've reached the peak now. <laughs> I think you're probably right. You've moved to the giant that is Papua and Limby Cricket Club. Um, but you're back in the ranks. Yeah, well, you say that. I mean, you say Papua Colombia. I think uh, Cookney have come in for a little money transfer 
all that help I've been giving you might be withdrawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, look, as I say, I have been an absolute cricket nut ever since, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember. I don't remember my, any part of my life without cricket. I've just always loved it. Like, I remember my, I went to watch the West Indies at Old Trafford with my dad once, and he, he bought me a corky. That's what we used to call him when we were younger, a corky. And it um, cost him a fiver. He was like, right, look after that. And I, I, saw, I found the nets. That the lad, you know, when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. Right. Anyway, went to bowl as quick as I could, launched it miles down the leg side, went and picked it up. But because of how abrasive their nets are, I'd basically lost one half of the corky because I did the check. <laughs> about 11 or something. But I was like, shit, Dad's going to go mad. Um, put it in my pocket and kind of just like hid it in my bedroom. Um, but yeah, look, I had. Um, I had a great time growing up, a club called Brevy St. Mark's. Um, they're a really reasonable standard, you know. Um, one of the lads that I always remember from there, two lads will probably listen to this, Paul Wood, um, always amazed me from being a kid. I used to do Taekwondo with him. He was about five or six years older than me, but he was massive. And at Taekwondo, they used to hold these two things up, and he was the first person that I ever saw kick through it. So he was just always like a god. Um, but a brilliant cricketer, should have played Lanks, uh, but probably... Well, took his took his um, ability for granted, but just happy to be brilliant at that level, but never really wanted to push it, which is fair enough. Uh, but I used to, there was a lad who was a year younger than me called Richard Keyworth, and when we were both playing in the first team, we'd about eight, you know, seven, he'd about eight, or vice versa, or whatever. And we used to just have loads of fun, the last 10 overs, taking the piss out of the lads who were bowling at us and just like dropping and legging it because we were miles quicker than they were. And he's like, you fucking little shit. So, you know, and we just, we just giggle and we just have the best time. Um, but yeah, they played a couple of years in the Worcester League um, and eventually ended up at Wimbledon, as you say. Um, and, and look, enjoyed some really, really good success there. You, you go to one, arguably one of the best clubs in the country, um, started in the threes. Did all right. Went my way up in the twos. Did all right. And then probably arguably became the, the best player in the twos that could do a job in the ones. I wasn't probably not the best cricketer in the twos, but in terms of what the ones would need, I became the best person suitable for that. But then was always the first person to kind of drop out of the ones. So I'd go from opening the batting and bowling my full allocation in the twos to bowling six overs and batting eight or nine in the in the ones, if that makes sense. So... Uh, my ego didn't really allow for that to be acceptable, uh, and I was quite vocal about that. Um, I used to live with Neil Turk, who was our first team captain at the time, and you know we spent most of our time at home rowing about why I wasn't batting three and bowling seventy-five overs for the ones every week. And I he played against him a lot. Yeah, he said because you're not good enough. Um, but do you know what? If it, real grumpy git Turk, but. He, when I refer to the one bloke that I've always had an amazing relationship with, because not for a second in the time I've known him do I not know where I stand with him, that's him. And there's a lot to be said for people like that. Um, but yeah, tasted some real good success with Wimbledon, and I'll be eternally grateful for that. 2012, National T20 Finals, was on Sky at the time, I believe, wasn't it? It was, it was in telly, and you got a bit of a, um, bit of a TFC. Didn't bat, didn't bowl. I know what a TFC is. You don't need to spell it out for everyone else, you git. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, obviously, knowing you how you are, and like you say, you're quite vocal, you're obviously disappointed, and that 
and that obviously is going to play on your mind a little bit, but we know from talking to you and what teammates and stuff have said to you more recently that they've sort of said if it wasn't for you being in and around that squad and certainly in the quarterfinal, yeah, yeah. what you did, they wouldn't have got there. So um, hearing that kind of thing must give you a little bit of justification as to your ability. Like you say, you're, you might have floated between, but that must be nice to hear. Yeah, I mean... Like to, when I arrived at Wimbledon, very quickly became apparent that I wasn't good enough to play at the in the top side at Wimbledon. Graham Grace is the the best batter I've ever played cricket with, or I did enjoy playing cricket with. Turk is probably the best amateur all rounder and great captain that I've ever played with. Um, and so I worked my nuts off. I was single at the time. Every time there was an overseas, I'd go and bowl ten overs at the overseas every every night of the week, and then face ten overs off them. So, you know, this is a first-team overseas player and I was making the effort to train with them and what have you. And anyway, I get myself into the into the ones. Um, T20, uh, I had a wedding before, uh, the day before the quarterfinals. We had just played Bristol Cricket Club on a Sunday morning, Saturday. It was the hottest day ever in Brighton, uh, my mate Tim Jarvis's wedding. Didn't drink all day. Didn't have a drop. Drove back up to London that night, slept in my own bed. Eight o'clock, I'm on a bus to Bristol the following following day. Um, I'm in the 11. Um, out we go. And we're getting hand everywhere. Just no, nothing, nothing's working, whatever it was. Bit, bit dewy. It's kind of getting towards September. It's late August, like, you know, bit of dew about. And Turk throws me the ball, 12th over. Not, not, look, he had faith in what I could do, but basically went, look, no one else can fucking get it to work. So have a go, Chief. Like, um, anyway, I bowled spell of my life really at that level. Um, when you think about we're, we're, at that point, we're in the last eight teams in the in the country. Um, got three for fifteen off me four. You know, obviously then bowling at the death. So the what's twelve foot eighteenth over was my last. Um, we then go on to to knock them off. Um, you know, because at that point we're, we're probably looking like we're chasing 200 and we're probably out of it. Next thing you know, we bowled them out for 140 or whever and, and, and it, it's changed the game. Um, we win, you know, great trip back. Um, Edge Baston, I didn't expect to play. I had a look, I, I walked out to the middle and had a look. And as someone who kind of bowls, you know, it's affectionately known as like Dob, maybe slightly quicker than Dob. Uh, but just try and extract a little bit out of the surface or in the air. I looked at it and it's like it's like it's like bowling on my desk. Uh, and I was like, I'm I'm knackered here. I'm I'm gonna get that out of it. But for whatever reason, um I was I was in the eleven. And um, one of my mates who I lived with at the time, Jack Snape, who was a brilliant bowler from kind of Coventry way, gutted. Absolutely gutted. And I kind of felt a bit gutted for him. So I, I looked at it and thought, you know, but, you know, my semi, my quarterfinal spot had probably bought me my semi final place. Uh, we played Cookney from Knotts. Um, they had a real good side. There's some real good players, but we beat them quite convincingly. And then we beat Northern from Liverpool in the final. Um, I didn't bat, I didn't bowl in either game. And that's kind of haunted me a little bit because, you know, someone who's as proud as I am and someone who, who takes so much pride in the cricket as I do. You know, that was my big opportunity. I had friends from when I played in Worcester. They'd come to watch live, like, you know, a few of them, whatever. And that was, you know, I was that's my day to actually do something. I'm going to put my mark on cricket. You know, that's what I, that's going to be my kind of legacy. Maybe only for myself, maybe for my family or whatever. But it didn't, look, it didn't happen, but we won. I had a brilliant night out, one of the best nights I've ever had. 
Um, and But, you know, before, there was a lad called James Brown, who now he's the head of the 100 for the ECB, and we kind of always got on, but, you know, yeah, we, we not best pally, if that makes sense. I caught up with him at the Oval a couple of years ago, and he said to me, and this, I respect him more for it because we weren't that pally. And he said, I've never said this to you before. He said, but well, I wouldn't have been able to, what I achieved in 2012, if it hadn't been for that four overs you bowled at Bristol. And I was like, I'll take the ribbon that everybody will forever give me about being on TV and fielding at third man or fielding at mid-wicket or whatever, because that one thing that he said to me means so much that I was like, people can say whatever they want to me. I, it, that that uh, I'm justified, if that makes sense, because those yeah. boys know that they wouldn't have been there had it not been for that spell that I bowled. It's the beauty about uh, cricket is it's a team sport, you know. Um, you, you've rightfully said that there's going to be people that bat and they don't bowl. You know, um, there's a role for everyone in the side. And at some stage, you're going to cash in and, and make a difference. And and you did that in, in 2012. Moving on to 2013, though, um, that was a slightly different year, wasn't it? Well, all right. Okay, so this is my own fault. Massively my own fault. I said something stupid on Twitter about more than Wanderers, which is a club in Surrey and having a rubbish ground or something. Uh, we went and played them on the Saturday. No, we played at Leatherhead. Turk said, you're not bowling. You're not doing anything. Are you going to come and stand in the sun for three and a half hours? And I'm going to bat you at 11. Oh, great. Cheers, mate. Oh, here's 12 quid for you as well, Neil. Thanks. Put <laughs> 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 a couple of stale sandwiches and a bit of dry cake. Cheers. Um, I think I had to drive as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to pay for petrol too. Lovely. Yeah. Um, but the next day was at um, was the Southeast Regionals. So that's one of those days where you have two semis in a final before you go into the Southern thing. Played at the HSBC ground in Kent. Good ground. Good ground. Neil and the chairman, Simon Robbins, sat me down that night. Can we have a meeting? Yeah, fine. Oh, I know where this is going. Uh, we know we kind of punish you today, uh, but tomorrow you're obviously in the 13 or whatever, or you're in the 12, but we're just telling you now that you won't play, um, but you have to be there and you have to... Sorry, my dog got a can. Um, you, yeah, you're going to be there. You're going to be in the 12, but you're not going to play and you're just going to run drinks all day. So I just looked them both in the eye and just went, fuck off, that's not happening, um, and just got up and went, had a few more pints with my mate, said night out, thought nothing more of it. Um, and that's probably a bit of ego and that's probably not wanting to back down and not wanting to, you know, for, for whatever reason. Wrongly, you know, I can look back on that now, you know, it was eight years ago. Um, and um, and so they went and then obviously the lads come back, having won, but saying, oh, fuck me, you might not have played the first game, but the way the wicket played, you'd have definitely played in the final and but you'd have bowled all your overs. And, and, yeah, all right, I've made, I've made my bed, I've got a lie in it. Um, and they then didn't pick me for the rest of the tournament. Um, and, you know, I stayed in and around the team. Obviously, I was playing with them on a Saturday and stuff. But, you know, that that hurt me. And they taught me a bit of a lesson there. Um, although we went to the we went to the Oval. Uh, and it was a brilliant day, A, because I got to see Bob Willis, who was an absolute gent of a bloke, eat his first ever Nando's. And to watch a 70-year-old eat... Macho Pings without cutlery is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Him and Charles Colville just turning the air blue. Um, 
but it rained all day, and it was it. We had Banbury twenty eight for seven. My mate Jack Snape, who I referenced earlier, um, bowled out of his skin because he hadn't been picked the year before and just did it. But then the rain came and it never stopped. So uh, they they won both games on a bowl off. Um, we went and had a, a brilliant night, and I supported the team like I should. Um, but fully aware that I could have played again, but I, it was my own fault and. Uh, and I was the sole reason why I didn't. Any lessons learned? Be proud. Um, massively, be proud. Step, fight, stand your corner. But like the, the thing I had a big problem with was, like even though at times I knew I was wrong, I was too proud to admit it. And that's got me in some scrapes before. And, you know, look, would I love to have two? I'm lucky enough to have one, even though I did fuck all on the day. Um, one, one national title winner's trophy. Would I, I'd have loved two. Um, but it's my own fault that stopped me from arguably, you know, managing to achieve that. But, um, but never, I'm saying, stand up for yourself. But just don't, just don't write as many stupid things on social media as I did when I was a bit younger. <laughs> so, Jono, we um, we played at the same club, believe it or not. I don't know if uh, if anyone else is aware of that. Um, I played for Old Wimbledonians, I think, from about 2010 to 2014 before joining Twickenham. Uh, actually, 2010 to 2013, then joined Twickenham in 2014. But um, you you took over and uh, and skipped um, Old Wimbledonians for many years. I think from I want to say 2016 to to 2020. Yeah, I, I, having left Wimbledon, I mean that's another story. Um, I, I had a fallout with the, the secretary. Um, we're now great friends again, uh, but it caused me to leave the club at the time. Uh, again, my own fault. Um, you can, there's a pattern emerging, isn't there, around that time? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so there was a guy called Ali Jaffer who played at Wimbledon and then played at Banstead and then went to uh, be first team captain at OWs and uh, invited me to go and play. Went down for a year. Ali lasted a year as a skipper. Um, and then, and then, um, I showed an interest in, in taking over. And I think my competitive spirit, the, the lads backed me. And, and, you know, I had five years as captain. Um, in the, the fourth year, 2019, we got promoted and, and to um, the highest league that um, OW's ever been in, uh, which was a massive, massively proud moment. Um, you know, Simon, uh, well, all three of us are great friends with Clint. He'd come down because uh, his brother, Brandon, had been, uh, he was our overseas for the year, so Clint came and played. Um, made a massive difference, you know, huge amount of difference, um, you know, both with bat and with ball. Um, and we, you know, that's probably that's my proudest moment on a on a cricket field was to to get the boys promoted. And you know, I think the first two years I had people challenge me for the captaincy going into the following year because I think I, w- I was too hard on the lads. Like having been captained by Neil Turk and the way that he captained, I I thought well he's so successful that's obviously the way to captain. Um, but obviously I must have done it in a different way because the lads didn't react to me. Calling them everything, all the kind of names under the sun, was, we obviously did to Neil doing the same. So, um, but they stuck with me. I had a great relationship with Nick Fox, the chairman. Um, and um, yeah, eventually we got it done. Um, you know, we managed to thankfully play some cricket last year in 2020, despite COVID. Um, it would have been a real shame for me not to have had any cricket with the lads um, last year. So I'll, I'll be forever thankful for that. But um, yeah, just a you know, great club, great people, big club, five, six sides on a Saturday, two on a Sunday, 
um, which is no mean feat in today's modern world where people, you know, want to do things for more kind of instant gratification and kids just want to play on video games and that. Um, so, no, an amazing club, uh, some amazing people. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll suddenly miss them, but it was the right time to leave London. Um, and so, yeah, look forward to the new challenge in, in uh, the Knotts League. You've obviously, you've spoken about obviously a lot of the achievements that you've had. You've won national titles, making your way from third teams to first teams, captain inside to the highest level. Which would you say is your proudest and which would you say is your greatest? Because they can quite often be two things. If they're the same, then that's fine. But... Um, my, my to, be, to be able to say to people that I've won a national title is... That's the highest accolade I can, I, you know, I think even more so. I look, I've got, look, I've got mates from Ealing who've won national 50 over tournaments and, and you know, village cups and, and whatever. I think the, for me, the beauty of T20 is that it's such a lottery for, mm. for Wimbledon to go on and win it back to back. I don't think that'll ever be repeated because I think it's too much. I think T20 is too much of a lottery. Anything it can happen on one particular day that means that it just doesn't work well it just doesn't go your way um you know will butler from putney you know i've spoken to him a lot about that semi-final from 2012 you know rich stroh will didn't get many billy root didn't you know probably arguably do as well as he should have done luke wood who's now playing at lanks played against us uh and it, it looked for whatever reason it went in our favor and then the bowl outs went in our favor in, in 2013 um i've been a part of that wimbledon side that I think alongside Ealing, maybe South Northumberland over that period were one of the best sides in the country, if not the best side in the country, is my proudest. Um, to get to get OWs to the highest uh, league in which they've ever been, they should have got promoted uh, years ago <laughs> into the same division, but the guy called Tim Johnson, he's an absolute champion of a bloke, but he forgot to phone the result through on time and so they got docked points. So they're in the, they, they've had the night out as if they celebrated going up and then he forgot to phone the result through and so they didn't go up. Um, stinker. Yeah, absolutely stinker. Oh. But yeah, I, look, that that for me, that's that's my proudest. Like, you know, we the, we'd always have a chat before a game uh, we'd always have a chat after the game, and and the, the day that we won it, we, we won it at home, um, and I, you know, we're in the team huddle afterwards, and you know, I, I cried not because, not because of what it, it didn't mean more to me than any of the other lads, other than you know the fact that captain for five years had put a hell of a lot of work in, but I knew what it meant to the club, um, and so you know, it's like an outpouring of emotion, isn't it? Um, and so, yeah, you know, to, to win won a league as a first-team captain, um, you know, not many, well, there's a lot of people can say that, but a lot of first-team captains have never won a, a league. Mm. Um, so that, you know, to, to be able to tick that off the off the list of things that you'd want to do is, is you know, a nice thing. It is weird when you're a captain into that kind of responsibility that you've got to almost, when you, I can remember... I'm fortunate enough to have played in some sides that have, that have done all right and a captain the couple. But I can remember one game when we needed to win to win the league. There was one part in the game where it wasn't going great and you just think, I will do anything. I will, there, yeah. is, there was nothing off the table in, at this point. And then when it comes through, I once walked about 40 laps of Attenborough Cricket Club while we were chasing 150. I mean, it's a cricket superstition. But it just, it seems to mean, mean more. You feel responsible. Like, yeah. Not for your players, but to... To 
you know, every first team captain, dead or alive, that's gone before you, every chairman, everybody who's spilled any kind of blood, sweat and tears for that club, as first team captain, you know, Oggy will be the same for, for Pap, Pap, our club now. Like, you, you have a sense of responsibility and yeah. you feel like you need to live up to the expectations of what that puts upon you. Um, yeah. And you know what? You've got to be, I think, anybody who's a captain, regardless of whether it's first team or not, you're a pretty strong individual because you have to leave and breathe every minute of it. Now, it's not, it's definitely not an easy job. I used to say to my lads, like, a load of us used to meet for breakfast every Saturday. Um, you know, Lisa, I mean, talk about cricket widows, poor Lisa. You know, every week in the season when I was first team captain, I'd be out the door at eight o'clock in the morning and she wouldn't see me until midnight because, you know, the way I play cricket, I've grown up playing in the 80s or the 90s and noughties. Mm. I go out early, I spend the day with the lads, I then drink with the lads and then I'll be, you know, please come and get involved. And I think that's massively important. Get girls yeah. on your club. Throw them a ladies' day. Like, the best thing that ever happened to OWs was we'd have, we started the ladies' day and every player whose lady, regardless of whether they were at home or away, whose lady joined, they'd all go for brunch and then they'd come and we'd, all, we'd buy them a bottle of Prosecco each. Now, it turned into an absolute ravaging shit show on many an occasion. <laughs> they were absolutely battered. But if you get girls around, if, the girl, if, if girls, wags, whatever you want to call them, get around the club and are willing to support the club, by God, does it make your life easier as someone who wants to spend his Saturdays there? And something. It makes it a better place as well. It makes everything a better place to be. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, going back to what you said earlier about this part of your, your fitting in, um, that desire and about the fact you've moved around quite a lot. You've obviously recently moved away from the big smoke, and I don't mean the brewery, although you literally did live very close to the brewery. But um, I won't be moving away from that anytime soon, the old China. <laughs> to, um, to Nottingham, you've obviously spent a long time building your friendship group, your relationships and stuff in London. Um, how have you sort of gone around processing the move sort of within yourself? Which, like you say, you've always been one that flits around. And uh, have you gone about like, I know you know me, and I, I live up here, so that's. I'm not trying to ask a question that leads to well, you're here, so you've been amazing. <laughs> but, um, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, have you have you gone about sort of fitting in and, and making that? Obviously, you've dived into Papawick, my cricket club, to a massive extent, which is amazing. So, how how's that been? How are you finding it? Well, I think the the reason the reason we didn't move. Previously, so Lisa's from Ireland, Lisa's from Cork. I was very tied to London, so before I started working for myself, it was always me that was saying, No, got to stay. London's where I work. Blah, blah, blah. Lisa works in London, but can work remotely just because of a job. Um, and then I think Lisa had almost given up and just almost resigned herself that we were always going to be living in Surbiton or Wimbledon or Southwest London. And I said to her, It got to a point in lockdown, I said, Should we just go? And she looked at me as if saying, like, go where, to the park for a walk? <laughs> I was like, no, actually, I was like, let's, let's, no, I've got my head, I was like, I've got my head around it. I was like, let's go. Because what I said to, I've always said this to Lisa, and it, not, not that this is the right way to behave in any sense necessarily, but I've always said to her, I said, if you've got an idea, float it with me, give me enough time for me to, like, think that it's my idea, and then, and then we're all right. So she gave me enough time, you know, because we talked, we talked about moving up 
closer towards you guys and kind of, you know, I was always a bit like, yeah, all right, but nah. Um, but then eventually, because of lockdown or whatever else, I've gone, Lisa, let's move. Let's go, let's go to live in Knott's. Let's go and live near Simon and Becky. We don't need to be in London anymore. Like what COVID showed us very quickly was that, like, we stay in touch with the people that we want to stay in touch with. Your friends are your mates, but it doesn't matter where you are. Like there was a period when lockdown was released, like they had to come up here, but then I had to get the train back to Surbiton, Southwest London. I got in a taxi from here to Newark, which is about 20, 20 minute drive, straight on a train, and then across London on a train to uh, Surbiton, two hours and 15 minutes. So it can't be that difficult to stay in touch with people if you really want to. No. You know, it also helps that our two bed flat in Surbiton would have cost us 600 grand, and we've bought a four bed house in the country up here for, you know, less than half of that um yeah, but that's london you know and it is, the, the the beast is the beast and you know that you know and, and everyone makes their own call um but it, do you know what it, it's lovely um you know my golf cost me 850 pound less and i'm playing at one of the top 50 courses in the uk um not that i don't still love my old golf course of course but um it's just a different way of life the air seems fresher the water seems cleaner right it's fucking really cold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is at the minute, yeah. On the other day, earlier today, actually, funnily enough, Tim Richards, who's one of my mate, old mates from old Wimbledonians, he said to me, what's it like? I said, yeah, it's great. I said, but I've seen more snow in the last six weeks than I did in 18 years in London. So, um, but yeah, look, it's different. Like, we, we look out over farmland. Like, you know, it, it's just... It is different, and it's not for everybody, but we're glad that we made the move. Like, I had a load of my friends phone me or text me from your birthday from London and, you know, staying in regular touch and stuff. And if you want to make the effort to, to stay in touch with people, then the way the world is now, like, you, you, Eugene could be up here to you and I in two hours if he wanted to be. Like, London to Nottingham is not a long way away. It just people... You, you kind of get within a mentality that it is and that you can't break that mentality. Um, but I think COVID will change a lot. There's a lot of people I'd imagine will will kind of move out of the M25 who are currently inside it. Um, I, suppose, I suppose it depends on your flexibility and that brings us nicely on to, to what you're doing now. And, you know, you recently, um, I mean, you've always been involved in Woodstock um, cricket from a, um, from well, for, a, for a good longer of years. But I suppose you've recently taken over as MD um, and an and owner of, of Woodstock. So talk us through how that happened. Um, you know, you've obviously got a, a number of people that you rely on in terms of working with them. So, yeah, how did that work? Um, so I know John Newsom from, from Newbury, his days at Newbury. Uh, he used to look after me a little bit. Um, and, um, yeah, Newbury got bought out um, by a load of people who weren't cricket people. Uh, and I, I think it's a, you know, what's happened to that brand since, I think is a real shame. I think it was probably arguably the classical British brand and, and they've kind of, it, it's no longer um, at that level that it was when the Keeley boys owned it. That's who John used to work for. Um, when John very quickly fell out of love with the new owners, let's say, and, and so set up Woodstock, that's whether he could look after me. All the Wimbledon boys, who are obviously some of the best, you know, best players in the country, start buying it and I'm thinking, hey, I'm missing missing out here. Um, so I invested in Woodstock. We actually signed the deal at National Finals Day, uh, Rose Bowl, September 2010, when we lost to Swordston from Norfolk in the semi-final. Um, that was still, I was still in the thirds at that point, so I had no chance of uh, getting a TSC that day. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, and it, you know, it, it look it allowed me a number of different things. My, going back to what we something we said earlier, my parents will openly tell either of you two or anybody, no matter what I was going through after my granddad passing and in, in, in that period where I kind of went AWOL for a bit. The one thing that they always knew I'd be back for on a Saturday was cricket. No matter, I could have been anywhere. I could have been in fucking Russia. But I'd have found my way back for a 12.30 start on a Saturday at Brewery St. Mark. Or the meet time for an away game. And it, that's, that is my relationship with cricket. That is how much I love it. That They always knew, no matter where I was, if you hadn't seen me for five or six days and thought I was in some drug den, which I, incidentally I never would have been, um, no, but yeah, my defining relationship with cricket is that I love it so much to such an extent that I've always wanted to be involved. Um, so I remained a silent partner until this year, uh, last year. Look at that, time was quick. Um, and, you know, John wants to make bats, but then not necessarily have to run the entire business. And so I took, you know, I've got I, I've got an events company that uh, in corporate events, but I just thought, you know what, now is probably the time for me to take Woodstock on and really own it and, and run with it. So put a group of investors together. Obviously, Max Rushton and Toby Tarrant are involved in that, as you two uh, both know. Yeah. Uh, and and so it's yeah, it's just time to take a kind of sleeping potential giant forward, I guess. Um, some incredibly exciting times. We're taking on more international players. We're we're looking at how we market ourselves differently. We're supporting obviously the, the Slogging It podcast. We're supporting a the third man guys uh, who've been great in terms of the work that they've done with us so far. Um, and just look, supporting grassroots cricket. We're, we're doing a lot with the, the special, the armed forces, the police, the, you know, the NHS, the fire service and stuff. And, you know, we, for us, it's all about being ethical. I completely disagree with the, the amount that people are charging for bats these days. I, th- I think it's disgusting to be quite honest. Um, but if, you know, people with high overheads and, and whatever probably need to charge that amount to, to kind of justify their own business. But it doesn't mean, yeah. it doesn't mean it, you know, their bats are no better than ours, arguably based on, you know, results in gear tests. Ours are better than theirs, but ours are a third of the price in some cases, not in all cases. Um, but yeah, look, I, I just love cricket. I, I can't, you know, Lisa will tell you I love cricket more than she does. I'm not sure I do. I do. Um, but, um, no, of course I don't. That's a joke. But um, yeah, I look, I you know, I, we've just found a new home that we've moved into. We've moved into uh, up at Cookney Cricket Club, which gives us a centralised location for the country, and it's the first time that people will be able to come and visit us and pick up bats and stuff. Before we've always been a direct to seller, bespoke made, you know, and I think that that's probably hurt us previously um, because you know there's a lot of cricketers who prefer to pick up a bat before they they purchase it. So we, we we've kind of changed our direction that way as well to. Um, so yeah, we, we try to do things the right way, look after cricketers, not burn them too big a hole in their pocket. Um, and, um, yeah, it's exciting times. I get, uh, you know, I wake up excited every day to, I get to talk to people about cricket all day. <laughs> it's the most important thing. As yeah. long as it keeps you happy and Lisa happy, that is the most important yeah, thing. New pairs of converts, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Hey, and look, you've chosen, you've... They deliver it, some of them recently. <laughs> to hide them from the <laughs> Most importantly, though, you've chosen the right um, 
a marketing platform in Sloggingit to promote the Woodstock brand. So, you know, talking a little bit about Sloggingit, um, we asked Simon this question, so it's only right that we ask you this. What is your expectations from Sloggingit and where do you want it to go? I, we, we kind of had a bit of a chat off air, didn't we? Like, because Simon was busting for a wee and he didn't want to wee in his beer glass like the rest of us do. Um, and we were saying that, you know, I didn't cry when I was, I spoke about my parents at my wedding and I didn't, I really expected to cry doing that because obviously you talk about adoption and the kind of emotionality of it and whatever, yeah. And I didn't cry. And I've always wondered whether, since, whether that was a bad thing. But then in preparation for this, because I kind of knew that we'd asked about, you'd ask about my granddad and stuff. And I didn't expect to cry. And I did. I, I kind of loved it. I didn't lose it, but I, you know, I was visibly upset by it. And I, I think that that is because having done this now for almost three months or however long we've been doing it, you know, the, the, the listening to Simon do his episode was an incredibly um, humbling experience for me as his mate and, 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 and you, Eugene, you know, um, you, you get, it upsets you as someone's friend to have heard someone go through that. And that's obviously completely different from what anything I went through. Um, but just, I think just knowing that you're in a safe space and just allowing you yourself, I, I felt like I could absolutely let go because I'm in a safe environment. Now, I, I know that I'm directly looking at and talking to you two, but what I've also re come to realize through the messages that we've had through everybody that's come across slogging it and listened to it and will continue to listen to it is that nothing, you can't say anything that's wrong. Yeah. You, you yeah. flow anything that's a problem. Talk about anything that's been a problem. There is zero judgment. Um, all any of us want to do as a network. I'm not sure how we're going to be able to connect the network that we can't see. Uh, I think that's something that we'd love to be able to do eventually allow people to talk to each other. But I, I, at no point did I feel self-conscious about what I was going through for that period when I was talking about it earlier. And that's incredibly important. And that I feel empowered through that, through being able to you know, be so open with you guys, but also not be ashamed of the fact that, you know, this goes on the internet now in the form of a podcast. Everybody in the world could, in, in theory, should they want to listen to that. And I'm not ashamed by that. I, I actually feel that that's a good thing because me going through that and Simon going through what, you know, his interview and you, you, when we talk about yours, that can only, by showing weakness and showing vulnerability only allows to, only goes to show other people that in the same situation, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's not all, it's not about showing ultimate strength at all times. And the people that do that more often than not, other people see through it. We've all got friends who were always trying to be the macho guy and trying to, you know, one-upmanship on all of their mates and that. Like, look, if that if that's what if that's how you get your kicks, that's cool. But we all see through it. There's some, and if if you if there are if there are bits and pieces that you have yet to address, or you, you you're unable to address for whatever reason at this minute. One day you will be able to address them, and that's all we want to do is to say to people it's okay to address those issues. It's okay to show, be vulnerable. It's okay to cry in front of your mates. It's okay to be thirty-eight and cry. No one cares. You know, people just want to know that you're all right. Absolutely. Yeah. Jono, 
it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you yeah. for sharing your story it's been um <clears throat> it's been different this time because you know normally you're the one that's asking the questions and um for you to share your story so openly and so publicly as it will be i think it's a, i think it's a sign of strength to your point um it's okay not to be okay um but yeah really really thankful i don't see it as a story i just i and you know it, it's weird I, I kind of thought about this before we we caught before we came on and we've obviously talked about doing this for a while um it's not you know, I, I, I don't I don't know how I expected it to be or whatever. Like I don't I don't see it as Jono's story. Like you know, um, I, I just I, I really want this to slogging it as a whole. I mean, not not my not tonight. Um, just to just to allow people to go. Do you know what? If I am struggling, I can talk to anybody. I, I'm going to talk to a friend. I'm going to pick up the phone like we the three of us had a conversation today that we can't talk about just yet but hopefully we will be able to in the near future yeah and there are so many different outlets for people to just go do you know what i'm having a fucking rough time here and i i am going to reach out and i do need someone to talk to and the three of us have always said look get in touch on twitter instagram facebook whatever reach out like you know one of our one of, one of our woodstock pros i was on the phone to today and was texting the other night who opened up to me about the fact that they're having a really tough time of it mentally. And that's why I've now got a bit more of an understanding of like bubble fatigue and, you know, what's it like to be a professional athlete when things perhaps aren't going your way? Yeah. You know, and it's, do you know what? It's okay. Like, just, and then if, and, it, and do you know what? More importantly, if someone asks you to listen, just listen. Don't talk, don't put in, you know, that, that, looking back, one of my biggest faults was if someone asked me to listen, I listen for about five seconds and then decide to give him my opinion on it. Wrong, completely the wrong way to be. Listen, take it in, think about it properly. And then if you haven't got anything constructive to say, don't say anything. Just be there as a, as some, as a, a shoulder to cry on and ear to listen or whatever. It's honestly, it's so important. But thanks guys, I appreciate it tonight. No problems at all. Uh, pleasure is all ours. Absolutely. I'm just going to get my play cricket stats up. Hold on. <laughs> um, guess what, Jono? We've decided that we're not doing, not doing questions stats. tonight for you. Oh. Um, we're not doing questions for you tonight. Um, we've just decided that you and Simon, or well, I've decided because I'm the host tonight and apparently the host is always in charge, that you're both going to be donating £10 to the Lord's Taverners. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. No, so, of um, I, I just wanted to make sure that I could uh, show off my my power that I've been uh, in, entrusted with tonight. Um, I love the fact that you've done that. We had this discussion earlier today, and like we were like, right, so do you want? I was like, do you want me to host it or do you want to host it? Like, what we're going to do? And you just like, no, 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 I'll do this one. I'll do this one. We speculate, but I'll do this one. I've now hey, found out why. Now you understand. Robo, there's a very easy way for us to get him back because he's yeah. the last to do it. So he has to pay his and ours for his episode. Yeah. So that's true. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, what we'll do now is we'll hear a short message from our um, sponsors, Woodstock. And after that, we will talk a little bit more about what's happening in the coming weeks. Looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky with so many options to choose from. How do you make the right choice? When you want quality, value and service, there really is only one place to start. For more than a decade, Woodstock Cricket have been producing award-winning, high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. Matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, 
Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk. Thank you to our partners, Woodstock, for their continued support. It is always good that we happen to have a very uh, friendly person on the podcast that happens to do some of work, some of the work for them, which is great. So um, thank you again to Woodstock. Um, lads, before we before we finish off tonight, I just wanted to give you guys a bit of an update and maybe get some updates from you on, on how things are going outside of the podcast. So um, for those of you that have been living under a rock, we do have the golf day, which is uh, happening on the 1st of July at the Forest of Arden. Um, that is 100% confirmed. Um, we currently have six uh, four balls already booked and paid for, including a uh, whole sponsorship, which is great. So it is going really, really well. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, you know, I, guys, I think this has been really well received and, and you know, we're hearing positive things about it. Yeah, massively. I think... Um... We've got a headline sponsor hoping to confirm uh, this week. Yep. Um, a couple of, you know, we've got other sponsors. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a great thing. I, you know, who would have thought, you know, three months ago when we started this, we'd have a, you know, a corporate golf day being organised at one of the UK's top courses um, and people reacting so nicely to it. Um, really, really proud that um, the community that we've built thus far has engaged with it in such a positive way. Um, you know, obviously it's all in support of the Lord's Taverners. We don't forget to mention that. So it is a charity golf day. Uh, yeah. So your, your business can write this off. <laughs> if you wanted a whole <laughs> or to enter a four ball. Um, so yeah, no, it, look, it's just, it, it's, it's great for us three, isn't it? To, to know that we're doing good and, and providing some good and helping charities. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, the cricket eleven, um, yep. just to move on. Um, so obviously we've got the, uh, the the game confirmed against the fire service, which is going to be at Tick Hill um, in South Yorkshire, and that's the bank holiday Sunday in August. Uh, very exciting. We've got some we've got some really really cool people coming to that. Everyone else quite close to the time. Um, look, we we are looking to build an eleven. Um, so yeah, please send your cricketing CV to info at slogginit.co.uk if you're interested. Uh, because we're going to turn the fire service over. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's about. Um, I shouldn't captain that day because I'll treat it as a league game. <laughs> but uh, no, again, look, that's about earning uh, their cricket club some money, but also uh, some for the Lord's Taverners. There's going to be a sportsman's dinner. Um, at both the golf day and the uh, cricket, there is going to be opportunity to just come for dinner. And so, if you're not a golfer, then that's cool. If you just want to, you know, we're going to have a sportsman's dinner after the cricket game. Um, so, yeah, just loads of really cool stuff to to, to get involved with in, uh, you know, with slogging it in the in the next twelve months. Yeah, we've also got um, Pitch Vision, uh, which has signed on for uh, both the cricket and the golf day, actually. So. You know, specifically, one of the, the nice pieces of technology that I think we're going to be doing is streaming the game um, for the fire service. But not only that, we're also going to be able to commentate on it, which is going to be interesting. So I suppose to some degree, we'll almost have a, a slogging it live chat while we're, while we're on it. And yeah, yeah well it's going to be. Dinner. We're going to do slogging it live from both the dinners as well at the golf day and the yeah. as well, aren't we? So, yeah. uh, so we've got a lot, of, we've got a lot of plans, which is, which is, which is great, and uh, and and like you said a little bit earlier, John, it's all in support of the Lord's Taverners. So, you know, I, I think that's um, that's something that people definitely want to support. 
hundred percent. Let's hope so. So yeah, info at sorgonit.co.uk uh, if you want to get absolutely. Before we sign off, guys, um, any last thoughts? Any highlight from this week, Simon? Um, anything God good, uh, good, good gone in in, uh, in in the past week? Well, I think obviously there's been a lot of cricket going off, and that's been uh, in from an English point of view very good. From an Australian point, equally as good. Oh no, sorry, um, not as good. I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, looking forward to that series coming up, uh, South Africa and Pakistan. That is. Um, but I think that's massive. That for me outdoes anything that that goes um, with any kind of win or loss from a cricketing point of view. Um, from this week's interview point of view, John, a uh, massive amount of kudos to you, mate. That was that was incredible um, to hear you speak like that um, and open up like that. And yeah, I think the points that we're trying to get across with what we do here is is just talk about stuff. It doesn't matter. Um, who you talk to as long as you're talking to somebody and and like I said hopefully we can't talk about it too much hopefully in the next few weeks we'll, we'll be able to point you in in some some better directions than three numpties that used to play cricket to talk about your mental health hopefully we might have some uh, some PhDs on board and, and a bit of that involved so um, but yeah but for me it doesn't matter what it is whether it's a a personal issue, a, a bereavement, a financial issue, a gambling issue, or, or whatever it might be, or something that you've got, something eating you up inside. Get your gob open. Get talking to about people, to to people about it, sorry, and 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 let's let's all work together to get as many people as we can through everything that people are going through. Thanks, I. And uh, John, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I hope I get rid of this red eye by next week. Um... <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's cathartic. I, I've en- I've enjoyed it. Like I don't I very rarely open up like that. Uh, it's a long time since I have, but do you know what? I feel a million times better now than I did. You know, without having talked about it two two and a half hours ago. Um. So, yeah. Look, you know, we the three of us know what we're doing here is good the reactions that we're getting and people are telling us that we're, we're helping and that's all that we can ask for. Um, I keep saying this and we say it every week, better to say something to somebody and never be thanked than to never say anything at all. It's, it's so important. Like, um, you know, if you think, if you even think someone might be struggling, even if they turn around and say, well, shut up, no, I'm fine. At least you've taken the time to ask. Um, and, you know, and, it, 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 honestly, just just please reach out to people. Um, it, you know, you, you never, you may never know the difference that it makes, but you know, it will make a difference. Yeah, That's well it. done, thanks, Jono. Um, and then finally, from me, um, I can guarantee you, this is not. Uh, I'm not going to quit my day job to take up uh, hosting of podcasts, lads. Um, it was fun doing this tonight. Yeah. And Twitter poll <laughs> is on its way. Twitter poll is on its way. Oh, steady. It was no, I've, been, I've, been, I've cried once tonight already. I don't, I don't need a, a landslide victory for you. I mean, that's just going to... Next no, week, no, we no. have Jono talking about his disappointment of being sacked from slogging it. <laughs> On that note, lads, it's been great chatting as always. Uh, have yeah. a great evening and we'll catch up with you next week. Take care, guys. Take care, guys.